1: listening friends, Jack here. And I would like to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode. And that sponsor is Atlas. Atlas is a branding, web development, and content marketing agency. As a business owner, your day-to-day is uncharted enough. From branding and web design to content marketing, Atlas will help you navigate this digital terrain with ease. In today's world, social media is a great tool. However, you need to have a concrete, focused plan on how to use it. And that's where Atlas comes in. Atlas can help you navigate this modern digital world. And on top of that, Atlas can also help you with traditional means of marketing. So if you would like to book your free consultation, please visit atlasokc.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-O-K-C dot com for your free consultation. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. So as we have been doing this month, the month of November, it's Veterans Month. We We are celebrating and talking to people that uh, oh, yeah. served their country, and, you know, volunteered to give their, ultimately, it could have been their lives, for, for love of country, and uh, we're celebrating people that did that. Um, living where I live in Midwest City, Oklahoma, there are a ton of Air Force veterans. So, <laughs> celebrating veterans is going to be pretty Air Force heavy <laughs> this month, but you know, hey, it is what it is. So anyway, today I have a, well, I actually always say this every time, a very special guest, but this time the very special guest is somebody that has been in my life for a relatively long period of time. It is my stepmom, Marge, when uh, her and my father, they were both in the Air Force when they met, and I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was, but it wasn't yesterday or last week or last year (laughs) but um so yeah marge is my only my only parent that i have left and um she had a rather interesting career that was in the air force she did quite a bit of stuff so uh marge welcome aboard (laughs) thank you i'm glad to be here thanks for thanks for coming over and Uh, The trade-off was, if she would talk about her Air Force career, I would grill her some burgers afterwards, so. (laughs) (laughs) Win-win. Yes, yes. So, um, let's, I guess, well, I mean, we don't need to go back to the beginning, beginning, (laughs) but the beginning (laughs) of your Air Force career, um, I know that you went in after um, you had graduated from college, and if you want to go ahead and just talk about where you went to college, sort of what your degree was in, and what prompted you to uh, go into the Air Force.
2: First of all, I went in the Air Force before I finished my college degree. Okay. (laughs) So I was enlisted for a while, and I was stupidly Um, Got involved with somebody that I eventually married, but I got pregnant and kicked out of the Air Force because at that time you could not be pregnant and in the Air Force. Uh Uh-huh. So then I went back to school on the GI Bill and finished my degree. went to Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and I have a master's in business education. And after I got my master's, I taught at Hazard Community College in Hazard, Kentucky, which is now flooded. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. And they had a career day, and the Air Force recruiter from Lexington was supposed to be there to show up to talk to the students. And he was late. So, being an Air Force veteran for at least a little while, I went in and talked to the people. And he came in while I was talking to the students and eventually took over. But uh, he said, You should go back in. And I thought about it, thought about it, and we became friends, and I went back in with a, um, an officer, so different than being enlisted for sure. And I was in, gee, I was only in, stationed in Texas when I was enlisted, which is Wichita Falls, Texas, which is where they will give the United States an enema if they ever need to. Sucky place. <laughs> <laughs> Worst place I've ever been stationed at. But uh, over the course of my career, I've been in, in Turkey, the last, and uh, Korea, and I've just met lots of people and done lots of things, and I don't know how, what, what you want me to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess when you went back
1: in as an officer, what was that, about 1974-ish, 5-ish, 3-ish? 75, I think. 75. That was, uh, I remember that year, not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't old enough.
2: <laughs> so, um, you were, you were in finance, correct? Yes. I was in accounting finance as enlisted and also as an officer. Then I was in the Air Force Audit Agency. I was also in budget. Most of my career has been in that. I taught Air Force ROTC at University of South Carolina.
1: Okay. Uh, and, uh it was shortly after you were uh, commissioned that you went to Korea, correct?
2: Yes, I was stationed at Eglin Air Force Base, and from there I went to Korea. So I was—I was still the second lieutenant. I made first lieutenant while I was in Korea.
1: Okay, yeah, that's—you know—Korea's. If you're in the military, there's a solid shot that probably did go to Korea at some point.
2: Yeah, I was lucky um, enough to go to Osan, which yeah. was. Um, not that far from Seoul, and I was in NWR, which is Morale Recreation Welfare. So I was over the Officers Club, the NCO Club, the Bowling Alley, and any other recreational thing. And I liked that because when I was at the Bowling Alley and I got fruit, if I got food, I always got a larger portion than anybody else. At the Officers (laughs) Club, I always got the biggest stake because I was their finance person. I audited them, so... I kind of use that to my advantage.
1: Yeah. The old saying in the military is you never want to piss off uh, the people that deal with your finances because that's your paycheck. Cooks because they keep you full. And supply because if you need socks without holes in it, you want them to like you. (laughs) Yes, for sure. So that, that lines up perfectly
2: with... With the one constant in all branches of the military. Yep. <laughs> I know that the pilots used to say, "Well, I would do this even if you didn't pay me." So one time we, when we had pay records in our hand before we went automated, I withheld somebody's check just to prove to them they wouldn't do it for nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they wanted that check pretty.
2: pretty you fast. betcha. Yep. <laughs> but a-holes are in all branches of service
1: that is true uh i i've noticed that for some reason the military seems to uh assholes tend to
2: gravitate toward the military <laughs> yeah the the ones i hated the most were the majors that thought they were going to make lieutenant colonel and if they had been in uh in the cockpit or if they had been uh, a navigator, particularly a navigator, they were the worst ones. They thought they stuff didn't stink, and uh, I had too many bosses in accounting and finance that n- didn't know a thing about it. But they had been a navigator, and they were a major, and they had to do something with them because they could no longer, for medical reasons, couldn't fly.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: I, I suffered through a lot of them.
1: I I, I know what you're saying, and. <laughs> 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 I'm. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to comment on that further, but uh, sort of in that regard, though, uh, based upon something that my son told me, you never want to be stationed at an air force base, and your commander is the grandson of the man that the air force base is named after.
2: Oh, that would be just yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know me; I don't keep my mouth shut. Somebody mm-hmm. asked my opinion, I give it, that which is true. isn't always <laughs> what they want. Yeah, it isn't always <laughs> what. That's why I didn't make major.
1: I've noticed that in the short time we've known each other.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What you see is what you get.
1: (laughs) So so you came back from Korea after Mm -hmm. your fun year spent
2: there. And Mm -hmm. where is it that they sent you after that? They sent me back to Eglin Air Force Base. And I joined the Air Force to see the world. I had right. been in Texas. I was born in Florida, and I couldn't get out of those two states, so I went back to Florida and um, was the accounting and finance officer for a while,
1: which was fun. And let's see when.
2: So I, you
1: did go through something in the military that not a lot of people uh, go through, and uh, you got rift.
2: <laughs> yes, I <laughs> was lucky. Obviously, yeah. it's
1: not. You know, that's not your fault. They got rid of your career field. And could you explain sort of that whole process?
2: Okay. It's called reduction in force. The biggest one they had was right after Vietnam. The second biggest one they had was when they caught me. I was never in the Air Force for a career. I thought it was fun. I like men. There's a lot of men in the Air Force. You know, so I worked well with them. But I didn't do the things I needed to do to make major. I didn't go to war college. I didn't um, I didn't do the stuff I didn't want to do. Right.
0: Uh,
2: so I didn't play politics well either. So when it came up to the point where I was either going to make major or get rift, I didn't have all the credentials I needed to stay in. So therefore I got rift. And I went back as enlisted again and finished out. I took my retirement seven years earlier. And I had to work for it mm-hmm. while, it, you know, so basically when I retired, I ended up making as much as I did on active duty because I oh, retired as a captain. Right,
1: right. And so did that happen after you were already stationed here in, uh, at Tinker or was that pre That was at Tinker before oh, I met your Tinker. dad. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I knew that when you and dad had uh, got married that it had sort of been recent, you know. Yeah closer to recent than that, that had occurred than.
2: I think it was about a year later. Yeah. And so, uh, and I was yeah. lucky because <laughs> I went to the, I had ordered the accounting finance before and I had been in the accounting and finance. So um, I went to the accounting finance officer and asked if he would name request me so I could stay at Tinker. And he did, he had no problem with it because he got, you know, he got a captain with the experience to help him train his second lieutenants. And I was in right. every every section of the county and finance. Uh, I was their troubleshooter for everything. It was kind of fun. So
1: were you in a weird state of being treated as like half enlisted, half officer? Or were <laughs> you just completely treated, Up, oh, no, nope, you're an NCO?
2: <laughs> I, didn't did run the, I didn't run into any of that. And I'm surprised, but I I really didn't because I'm just me, whether I'm wearing bars or wearing wearing stripes. um, I'm just Marge. And I think that came across and I didn't try to overload or override anybody about anything. In fact, there was one time a second lieutenant was trying to do something illegal and it's just out of ignorance. So I had to pull him in the vault and here I was, a staff sergeant, and telling this lieutenant that he couldn't do this and show him the regs and everything else, but I had to do it in private because I didn't want to you know, that's rude otherwise right? and he never liked me because I knew more than he did about the job and I tried right. to help him, but you know, he eventually changed career fields. It wasn't for him.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, finances
2: wouldn't have been
1: for me either.
2: Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was I was in it when we went from manual pay records to computerized pay records, and then later on, we everything that we pay for the commissary and other things went computerized, and I was the right. troubleshooter on both ends of those. And I don't like computers, but <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of fun. Well,
1: somebody's got to got to help you know transition from I guess old school to new school. <laughs> yeah yeah i remember i guess we had been stationed here for i don't know maybe a year or something like that because dad was still in AWACS, and um he had got this new uh piece of equipment that they were swapping over and so we were up there and he was showing us and it was basically a word processor <laughs> but it was like this mega super world's fanciest word processor that you could you know have at a time and it, at the time i'm like this is just a fancy typewriter Yeah. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and he was just you know showing us everything and uh, that it could do and you know nowadays my phone does more oh yeah remember
2: when i was a kid uh, we went to at&t and the the computer was in a whole room. I mean, it was the room. Yeah. Uh, and now, what that did, we can do it on a laptop. It's just a, or a phone.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Dad, I think he got out before they started switching over to computers, I think. No. I, th- I just don't remember him complaining
2: about it. <laughs> Maybe well, that's it. <laughs> when he did it, he, when, when we switched, he was in the orderly room. Right. And he was the clerk in the orderly room. And I don't think it had that much of an impact on that. Uh, yeah. Like it did in accounting finance and other yeah. other places.
1: Yeah, I remember um, when him and mom were divorcing and dad was moving into the barracks and he had a bunch of his stuff. That's when I met it, him. It's, so we're walking, taking stuff to his new room and these uh, E-1s stop to talk to him and they're like, how did you... Get a blue duffel bag. <laughs> they're like, they're green. How? Why is yours blue? And Twitch dad's like, well, you see, <laughs> when I enlisted, <laughs> they were blue. <laughs> I don't yeah. know when they switched over, but I do remember that he didn't make it to the BDUs. He was still in fatigues. Yeah. When, when he got out, which... <laughs> yeah.
2: When I had a college instructor who was in the Air Force when it was the Army Air Corps, and she designed the uniform I wore, which oh. is kind of cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. Apparently, the Army's going back to the uh, the pink and tans look from World War Two instead of the dress bluish, greenish, whatever they currently have, which is kind of cool, but... <laughs> Just a simple aside that is completely unrelated to anything we were talking about, other than being in the military. But, you know, I've built that into the title of this podcast. (laughs) I've built that into the title of this podcast. You know, side quests are going to happen when you're dealing with a host that has ADHD. So just deal with it, everybody. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so when... uh, The cool thing was when marge and my dad met was she had a sports car (laughs) she had a toyota supra (laughs) yeah and that bad boy could could really pick up speed (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) as a matter of fact if i could right now find uh, an 83 toyota supra and like (laughs) restore it or whatever i probably would because that thing was that was a pretty cool car
2: (laughs) yeah I, i really enjoyed that one yeah
1: it wasn't necessarily ideal for um two adults and three kids to (laughs) (laughs) be riding in (laughs) you were a little squished yeah for sure back because it was you know there was not actually three seats in the back but
2: (laughs) yeah two seats at a home
1: yeah yeah but yeah um when the great thing about when dad and marge Uh, first started dating was because dad was trying to impress marge all of a sudden we were allowed to get popcorn and drinks when we went to the movies (laughs) which is not something that occurred before
2: well that's the reason i go to the movies half the time
1: well, yeah. You know, when, <laughs> when we were kids, you just knew going in that you were not getting any sort of food because dad was inherently cheap. And <laughs> all of a sudden he was trying to impress Marge. And so that meant we got snacks at the movies. So, <laughs> you know, that alone was made, made liking Marge worth it just from that.
2: <laughs> Good old days. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then dad retired and. You were still, you or what? Did In they? the Air Force, what, about five or six years after he
2: retired, was it? Uh, probably closer to five. I really, it all just kind of. I'm 77; it all yeah. runs together.
1: <laughs> it just sort of bleeds into one <laughs> yeah. big operation. Um, but you guys, um, I will, I will always remember when, because um, Dad had already retired, and you got state got your orders to Turkey, mm-hmm. and I know initially. You were going to go by yourself, and Dad was going to stay here in Oklahoma. And I did. And I did. And, yeah, and what was it, about two, three months later that he – I don't know what changed, but he went over. You would obviously have to explain what changed so that he could go over with you.
2: His job that he had disappeared, basically. It was a merger, and they downgraded jobs, so he didn't have a job. So I said, you might as well be unemployed here as there, and we could rent out my house. So that's what he did. We had a good time until the war broke out.
1: Yeah, that sort of ruined
2: all the fun, didn't it? Yeah, sure did. (laughs) I never got to go to Egypt. Uh, We did get to see where Mary was born, and we got to see Ephesus, which I can't pronounce right, uh, where on the hillsides... They have these little houses. Well, not houses, right. caves. They live in caves, and we got to see underground where the Christians hid out during the many, many, many years ago. And it was it was kind of interesting. We got to see them make rugs. We got to see the whirling dervishes and stuff like that. And we got to go to the capital Ankara, which mm-hmm. is where it had the best pizza in the world. Pizza Hut made um, by uh, Turks. Turks. It was yeah. Goat cheese and all kinds of other different things, but it was good. Yeah,
1: if I remember correct, Dad actually thought turkey was he loved it. If I'm not oh, mistaken, oh yeah,
2: yeah. He, I, well, if I
1: recall he just loved being there.
2: He got a job with the Corps of Engineers, and part of his job involved him driving from city to city to pick up stuff and to do things. And he had a little captain's hat that he wore, and mm-hmm. they thought he was a Turk. In fact. Yeah. <laughs> He was coming back to Enzeliç, and the gendarme, which is the police, uh, signaled him to pull over, and he pulled over, and they just jumped in the car with him and started talking Turkish. And he said, "I'm American," <laughs> and those, uh, didn't speak any <laughs> Turkish because that's a tough language. So, uh, but they he put on uh, some kind of country music, and they they bonded over that.
0: Oh. <laughs> they bonded yeah. over,
2: yeah. Somehow,
1: Dad lucked out and didn't inherit the uh, Scottish gene for not being able to tan. <laughs> because Dad could tan and he had black hair. So, I would imagine he, he did look...
2: <laughs> and he was Turkish. driving a Fiat that had right. a, a Turkish plates that didn't have American right. plates on it. So, that confused him.
1: Yeah. So. I, he, he frequently, though, got mistaken as a Turk. Like, if you guys were oh, yeah. out in the... Uh, community
2: not on the base for sure but the turks were great people i i have i've enjoyed everywhere i've been stationed at except for wichita falls and it had some good points but not many but i really enjoyed turkey the people were just fantastic yeah and yeah And
1: unfortunately you guys picked the well, by you guys, the Air Force picked the wrong time to send you over there because yeah. you had no choice in it. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, spoiler alert, everybody, she was in a little thing called Desert Storm. <laughs> and uh, they were stationed in Turkey. And, you know, if you're my age, you remember at the time, uh, Iraq was shooting scuds in every direction. And mm-hmm. they sent all the families home.
2: Yep. And your dad so, was in the last plane out and the only adult male on the plane because he <laughs> didn't want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he wanted to stay. And
1: his point was, I went to Vietnam. I'll probably be okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they did not agree with that. And so you got to spend the funness of a war in Turkey yeah. by yourself.
2: <laughs> it was, well, I had my dogs. Well, happened. yes. Yeah. And. The the worst thing that happened to me during that whole thing was there was two-week period where I they didn't let the maid and the gardener in. So, I was just about having to uh, wash and iron a set of BDUs when they let the maid back in. So, that was the worst thing I suffered from.
1: Yeah, ironing BDUs is the worst. Ugh. All, never, those, damn, uh, all those damn pockets. Oh, yes. <sighs> Trust me, I have ironed many a pair because when I was in, I could not afford... To send mine to dry cleaning. Yep. So I I ironed all of mine. <laughs> you, you go through some starch when you're uh, in the military. I don't think they make them do the current uniforms like when when I was in.
2: I don't know. What I've seen, first of all, when I was in, you couldn't wear your BDUs and in, in go into a grocery store or a restaurant or anything, they were strictly for on base and home. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you see them everywhere,
1: well, yeah, you hardly ever see anybody in I guess what is it your your blues or your
2: class A's, whatever it's called. We used to get in trouble going to a convenience store in our v d u s
1: oh wow, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they were i don't I never got griped at for that. You could go and do stuff like that while you were on base, but you weren't supposed to like on the way home, you know. In uniform like that, stop
2: at a movie theater and watch a
0: movie. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, those BDUs weren't all that comfortable anyway. you couldn't wait to get out of them. They
1: they were more comfortable than the, (laughs) in my opinion, than the the class A's. You know, the greens. When I was in the army, I hated those things. Uh, Those were those. Oh yeah.
2: They used when I first got in. They had skirts for women. Mm -hmm. That were equivalent to what BDUs are now. They were utility uniforms. And they buttoned up the front. And when I was in basic training, I was the guide on, which had the flag and the the tip of the uh, pole. And we used to have to take the tip off and put it in our pocket when we were standing in line for chow. Well, I had lost so much weight during basic training that my skirt, which was starch and could stand up by itself... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> had to be that way. Would started sliding down, and here I am, not supposed to move, because you're at parade rest, and you have to only move when your lines moves. So, my, I remember my T.I. said, fix it. <laughs> and that's all she yeah. had to say. Because it, right. was, it was down about, the waistline was at my hips at this point. Yeah. So <laughs> that was you... the most uncomfortable uniform I ever had. <laughs> yeah, and I could... I could definitely
1: see see why it would be.
2: Yeah. So that uh, yeah.
1: And uh, Marge actually donated her. Uh, she had her class A tuxedo type <laughs> uh, super duper dress uniform.
2: Mistress, yeah. Yeah, she
1: uh, donated that to the Oklahoma Historical Society, which worked out because they did not have an example of that type of uniform. So
2: that was a good looking uniform. Uncomfortable, but good looking. Yeah, yeah. Long black skirt with slits <laughs> up the, you know what? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> when you're short like I am. It ends up being near the, you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so let's let's kind of get back to your time in Turkey with the war. Okay. So every time, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, when a scud was launched, because they didn't really know at that time, because they didn't have the satellite and all the yep, stuff they do we, now, we went code red. Every, it did not matter. Everybody went code red. So did that mean you were having to put on your uh, your NBC gear, or at least everything but the
2: mask? Oh, we had to put everything on Ugh. the whole thing. And I my wartime duty was the switchboard because at that time AT and T wasn't on, mm-hmm. you know, and the only lines out were six lines in and out of the base, and we controlled them all. Right through wow. the switchboard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So you heard interesting things. But every time they'd shoot off a scud, especially when they didn't know where it was going, we went code red and automatically had to put all the gear on. And I remember before your dad left, uh, we were asleep, and I had my two dogs with me and your dad, and everybody was in bed asleep, and the, the siren went off. So I automatically went to get my chem gear on. And I looked over, and there's my dogs, and there's your dad. And I thought, Huh, oh, I ain't doing this. I'm not going to be the only one left alive if something happens. So I just right. dropped the cam gear and rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> I do not blame <laughs> you. If uh,
1: listening friends, if you were not in the military and you've never had to wear NBC gear, <laughs> it sucks so bad. <laughs> Especially
2: if you have to pee
1: yeah and the you whole... have to
2: take it all off,
1: yeah and on top of that, you know the the boots that you wear are essentially like super thick galoshes that are over your normal combat boots that you're wearing, and so when if you have to stay in there for any length of time longer than about thirty minutes, your feet just start getting <laughs> like in a puddle from everything, and then the the gloves are also sort of super thick like that and Not to manage
2: the switchboard when you're in chem gear.
1: Yeah, that had to have been horrible.
2: (laughs) It was.
1: And the masks. I'm. I'm. I don't deal with claustrophobia, but every time I was had to be in uh, the NBC gear for longer than somewhere around the hour mark, all of a sudden I would start to feel like claustrophobic, and it would only last for about five minutes, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. But you. I think I don't know if everyone goes through that but all of a sudden you just feel like everything is just closed in on you and then you kind of get through it and you're fine again
2: but well you know we had a, a turk working in the in the uh comm squadron with me and when the first time they did a code red he started putting on his cam gear and i tried to help him and it and i noticed it said training so it it was not really protecting him at all yeah yeah. So, I pulled out my second set, because they give you two. I pulled out my second set set the, the next time it went code red and gave it to him. Right. Which I had to pay for when I left, yeah. because I couldn't <laughs> turn it in, because he had it. Right. <laughs> so. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. When,
1: when we were out in the field and we were actually playing war, uh, so if you go to, like, uh, NTC, which is a tanker school where you practice desert warfare, and then there's JRTC, or not JRTC. Uh, anyway, there's another one that's jungle uh, training that's a, the worst place I've ever been in my life, which was Fort Polk, Louisiana. <laughs> um, Mosquito Fort country. Polk, Fort Polk may also be the entry point of the nation's cinema because... Yeah, could it, be. It was bad. <laughs> and... Ugh, ugh. <laughs> so um one of the things they do though when you're doing that is the they have people that are called observer controllers that sort of are the people that control the war and they tell you when you've been killed and yada 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 because you have basically laser tag gear on and then they mm-hmm. pull out your card and like, oh, you've been this and they sort of run it. But one of the things they do is they walk around and throw a uh, tear gas
0: <laughs>
1: out so you have to, you know, put your gear on and uh at least in the particular with the particular group of guys i was in with if you did not sleep on use your gas mask as a pillow they were going to go and change the adjustments while you were asleep because you know (laughs) you have your mask set up so that you can put it in and you do it tight and everything Uh goes on because you want it to be quick and they would go and mess with that adjustment (laughs) And it was generally, you know, your first time that you've ever done something like that because you don't know that they're going to do that to you. And once you get popped with the tear gas, there's no point in even putting your damn mask on at that point. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Because by the time you get everything figured out, you've already absorbed all the tear gas and you're crying
2: and snotty. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that was that was fun. (laughs) And when I was in basic training as enlisted, they made you go through the tear gas room, which was terrible.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: Duncan actually liked it
1: because until that point when he'd gone to San Antonio, I guess he was having a lot of uh, allergies and congestion issues. (laughs) And then when he went through getting gassed. He cleared it out. It cleared it out, and he didn't have any issues after that. So he looked at <laughs> he looks at his time in uh, basic as pre and post tear gassing because he was able to breathe better. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, hey, what are you gonna do? Yeah, well, you do what they tell you to do. Yeah, but you do learn when you go through that that your gas mask does indeed work.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: you. you There may be a part of you that thinks, oh, this is BS. No, it, it does what it's supposed to do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I know that, uh, during Desert Storm, they would have us in, in their, in our gear for long periods of time. That's when I'd go to the bathroom and take my gas mask Mm -hmm. off, take the suit off. I'm in a closed room, you know. Right. Uh, but it would probably, if there were chemicals, it would have been under the door and all this good stuff, but, I just couldn't stand it that long. I had to have a break. And that was all there was to it. Oh,
1: yeah. No, I I, I 100% understand. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I, I. if you want to lose weight, though, go put some NBC oh, gear no on and joke. sit in it for five hours. Because you will... Uh, yeah, you will, you will it'll make you wedding. sick, too. Yeah, and then you're always trying to figure out the stupid... How to get the... The straw part of the mask to work with your stupid canteen when you're out uh, in the I, field I, I could and never it just never that seemed out. to work right, and so no. you're just thirsty the whole damn time. Yep, and, and it sucked, and you're just like, "Oh my gosh!" They didn't even stop. issue
2: us those. They well, didn't yeah, issue I mean, us anything like that because we were Air Force. We were different, I guess. Well,
1: you don't need canteens in the Air Force, and you're have air conditioning. So <laughs> yeah, that's or at true. least <laughs> they did then. I don't know if they all do now, but we certainly did not. Yes. <laughs> have, have air conditioning. That's one thing when you're in like the Marines and the Army and you're out in a field situation and you're thinking, man, this is all sucking because you're sleeping on boxes. And then you look over to the Air Force dudes and they have window units and air conditioning. And
0: <laughs> you're like, I
1: bet they even have real mattresses in there. They're not sleeping on cots. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. The Air Force does treat their people better than, than what I assume the Army does would have heard
0: yeah
2: and it's the best still the best service for the for women to go into I, even though it's, it's still not equal it's better than yeah say the army right right yeah
1: so while we're sort of we'll we'll wrap up desert storm real quick so you were there uh until it ended Mm-hmm. and do I remember correctly? Did you get to come home earlier from Turkey than nope. your initial orders? I, nope. I just I don't recall because, well, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but I do remember when you came back, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, then you and I also remember you and dad renting that house and we were moving on a day that it started snowing and icing. Yeah, that's when we bought
2: the Broadview Circle house.
1: Yeah, yeah. We were yeah. moving in and naturally that day it had to snow and ice and that of course followed the night before when uh, dad myself and my brother went to pick up the washer and dryer and use the the rental truck and the engine on the rental truck died and so we're stuck on (laughs) i-44 waiting for somebody to come and get us (laughs) to tow the truck before cell phones (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i had to climb over the the six foot fence separating the interstate and the access road to walk a half a mile to the nearest hotel to use the lobby to call <laughs> the rental place to have it come out. And because you, you know, it was in between moves, you, there was no phone and no cell phone, so we couldn't call you and let you know what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs>
2: that was a, uh, that was a
1: definite interesting evening and then an interesting
2: next because Oh yeah, because it started snowing first thing in the morning on November the first, uh, two thousand eight no wait, uh, uh that was nineteen ninety one. Yeah. And it was a it had something like four inches or three three or four inches of snow. It fell just in one day. Yeah, it was and, pathetic.
1: And and keep in mind, friends that live farther north than we do we live in oklahoma and oklahoma is not equipped to handle anything more than a quarter of an inch of snow <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah the things kind of do shut down
1: yeah four inches you know we, we we're getting really really nervous and drop a foot of snow here in oklahoma and
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's the only people on the road are the highway patrol
0: because <laughs> we're idiots uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, so, anyway, you, obviously, being in Turkey, Iraq never attacked Turkey and Indian because we did not give them a chance to.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it was really overwhelmed. <laughs> everything that hit Baghdad came from Insulik Air Base. And our quarters were on the flight line. I could throw a rock and hit the flight line. Oh, so, wow. I, and it, and they do it all at night. It was always mm-hmm. night. Right. So I chose to work the night shift because if something was going to happen I wanted to be around people. I didn't want to be alone in my quarters <laughs> with my dogs. <laughs> well, and I'm yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm a night person anyway, so. Yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving just sort of now that you've moved back and then she obviously came back to got stationed at Tinker again. Yep. But sort of just shifting focus on your whole your whole career, you were talking about uh, women not necessarily being treated equally in the military. Do you have <laughs> examples of that that you would like to share? Because that's part of your story, and it's something no. that happened. So I mean, if I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to, obviously.
2: But. Oh no problem. I'll give you one real good example. Uh, I was teaching Air Force ROTC at University of South Carolina, and I had to go to a training camp as one of the instructors. And I was unlucky enough to get the one, what was the longest one, and mm-hmm. the people didn't. Okay. They weren't in an ROTC and hadn't had uh, any marching experience or anything. And I had a lieutenant colonel who was, used to be a navigator, and he <laughs> was not fond of women. He was what we called a brown shoe, And he made a comment, there were five of us instructors. I was the only female Okay. And he said women didn't have any place in the military. He told me that to my face. Wow. And and we always got, they had an inspection on Saturdays and a parade on Saturday. And mm-hmm. we always got the best uh, inspection because, you know, I, I was good at that kind of thing, getting mm-hmm. my team together and everything. But <laughs> I had one guy that had been in ROTC for two years. And he broke his leg on the first day. So I had nobody that had been in band, had been in anything marching involved. So none of my people knew anything about marching. And I just yelled at him because you have to give, you have, they, one of the things they have to do is give 54 commands to the, the whole group
0: mm-hmm. and they
2: march them through them and they have to do all that kind of stuff. And they normally do it in order, but you don't have to. You just have to cover all of them. Well, the group anticipated one thing, but the command was different. So I chewed them out and said, look, you do what they say, not what you think they're going to say. You listen to your commander. So (laughs) during the parade, the very next day, somebody who was in charge of the troops said right face when they should have said left face. So... Half my troops hearing me say, you do what they tell you to do, did the left face. But others knew they should have done a right face, so they did a right face. So now here my people are interspersed going in different directions. Right. Just standing there <laughs> in different directions. And I'm, I'm at the reviewing stand with this colonel who didn't like me to start with. Uh, so somebody got smart and said, cover. Well, they finally got in the position they were supposed to be in, but before that, somebody gave them another facing movement, so then, instead of being back-to-back, they're face-to-face, and I'm about to die. You know, this is during the Saturday parade, where the colonel's there, and they had a general visiting, and I'm just embarrassed to no end, but they finally covered, and, and everything went fine after that, but... Oh man, the colonel never let me down. Oh, he just rode me for that. Mercilessly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If, if once again, if you've never been in the military, until you're done training, you do an awful lot of marching. That is oh, one of yeah. the more important things that, that well, you it, do. In fact, it, your first week of basic training is basically learning how to march. <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it's a way to instill following orders and discipline. Right, That's right. why they do it. Live, live, ride,
0: live. Live, live, live. I don't know where right I live. Live, live, live. Live, ride, keep it hey. keep it hey. keep it Mama, mama, don't you cry. Pa- well, mama, mama, don't God. you cry. Your little boy ain't gonna die. Your little boy ain't gonna right die. This tensor, this <Good> left, right, you. Yeah. Left, yeah. Left, right, you. Left, Keep it in, 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 keep it in,
1: Okay, now that everybody got to hear <laughs> what that sounds like, <laughs> you will know.
2: <laughs> well, i one time I was marching my my flight and uh, just in practice, and I got involved in a anthill, which were red ants. I, I was standing beside trying to watch them Oof. and grade them, and I got in this anthill. And there's only one thing you can do is get the ants off of you. Well, they got in my shoe. Yeah. So, <laughs> and my flight's marching off doing something. And I'm standing there being ate up by fire ants. And all of a sudden I realized nobody's controlling the flight. And they're just going and going and going. And going. <laughs> so that was an interesting experience.
1: <laughs> when uh, we went to watch Duncan graduate, air force basic training in san antonio uh they were doing something marching in formation and when they were done i said they were released and duncan was with us and i was like you know when you guys were doing this part of the marching you were not marching correct you were doing it wrong duncan's like no no that was correct i was like he's like that's what how they taught us and i'm like they taught you wrong that is not correct according you know to the guide and all that stuff and he's like no 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 they couldn't that was correct. I was like, Duncan, I was in the army. When you're in the army, you get information and you march. If you are in 30 years, you are in formation every day. When you get out of tech school, you may never get information again, unless you happen to be outside for a, a, a flag raising and lowering or a change of command ceremony
0: or a parade.
1: <laughs> or a parade. That might yeah. be the, the only times you are ever in formation and march again. I'm like, When you're in the Army, you do it every day. Yep. (laughs) You are in formation every day. So I'm going to go with the Army being correct. Sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I hated marching in heels. Oh, that had to be awful. Oh, that was a bitch. No uncertain terms. And I'm short, so I wore, always wore higher heels than most people because I wanted to seem taller. Right. And so marching in two, two and a half inch heels is not very comfortable. And the Air yeah. Force wanted you to wear heels because they wanted you to be stand out as a female because we wore skirts. The guys wore pants, actually. Well, they right. finally got smart eventually and let women wear pants and flat shoes. But yeah. that took a while.
1: Well, you know, the, the army is only, this sounds dumb. I actually read this article the other day, but the army is now, uh, investing in making for, uh, uh for female soldiers tactical bras, <laughs> which if you think about it, it does sound stupid, right? It sounds funny. But if you're in a situation where you're moving around and being shot at and everything, you probably want something covering Sup- you that supportive. is actually supportive and designed to at least offer, a you know, some sort of protection more than Victoria's Secret.
2: Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
1: and so it does sound, it does sound funny.
2: Yeah, well, they used it's... to issue underwear. That was before my time. But they used to issue cotton, white cotton underwear, bras and fannies. And you had to wear them.
1: Yeah, when I went to basic, they were, we were issued brown Tidy whities that were the same color as the BDU
2: t-shirt. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's and we yeah. had to wear those as well. But
2: I, I didn't have to suffer through that. But by that, <laughs> by the time I got there, they realized it's awfully hard to keep bras in all these sizes.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Now that was probably our deficit would be a lot higher if they continued to play.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a. Uh, It's just, the military is a a different world, obviously. For sure. (laughs) It it has to be, because you need people to act immediately without, you know, second thought, you know, in a combat situation. So you have to, you have to go through that. Oh, yeah. And And learn all of that. Yeah. 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 And, um, but I can't see, I mean, even now, seeing the news all the time of, Uh, female soldiers that are any branch, not just soldier. I say that because that's what's in my head for me in the army, but you do hear where things happened and you're like, Oh my God, you cannot treat our, our female
2: military members like that. Yeah. (laughs) When I was in Korea, um, they, I was an officer in Korea and they had a women's group. I can't remember what it was called, but every air force base, had to have a liaison, and I volunteered for it. So we had to meet periodically with the other females on the base to find out if they had any problems and what's going on. Well, I had no power to do anything about what was wrong. All I could do was try to talk to the person that was a problem, but when it's a colonel and you're a second lieutenant, it's kind of tough. And when they ask you at uh, the command meetings how is everything going with the women? And if you told them a problem, you know, you were unfavorable to them. But so you had almost automatically had to say nothing we can't handle or everything's cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which it wasn't because women and in, in, especially in Korea, because <laughs> in Korea, if you're, if you're born in Korea at the time I was there, unless you were from a wealthy family, you had two choices. One was to be a bar girl. And the okay. other one was to work in a rice paddy. And I I worked in a rice paddy for about four hours. And it's not pleasant. And if I had been born Korean, I would not be in the rice paddy. I would be a bar girl. Now, how far <laughs> you'd have to go as a bar girl is really up to you. But, um, you know, those women, I made friends with a lot of the bar girls. And uh, they were interesting. Very interesting. And I asked him one time if they, what was the secret, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. uh, she, they there was always a joke about how the Korean women were built supposedly built differently than American women, but that wasn't true. And they were willing to show me,
0: <laughs> right?
2: I, I passed on that one, but uh, except for the grace of God, there go I. And I know, I don't judge anybody for anything, you know,
1: yeah. except
2: for politicians.
1: Well, they set themselves up for that. Yeah. So while we're on the subject of politicians, Mm -hmm. let's just say, for example, that you uh, work in finance in Mm -hmm. the Air Force and uh, some documents come across your desk that say, oh, I don't know, have, uh, say, classified stamp on them. Mm -hmm. And let's just say that you took those records home. <laughs> um, when the FBI say served a search warrant on your house, when they were done and they found those classified documents, would I'd they be just let jail. you stay in house or would you be leaving in handcuffs?
2: I'd be leaving in handcuffs.
1: You know, that's
2: that's exactly and what so would
1: have happened Trump, to me. But, but that's exactly what would have happened to me. So this whole Quick bitch thing of, well, he's getting special treatment because they don't like him. No, he is getting special treatment because any other person would have been arrested. They would have, he would have walked out of his deposition in New York for other crimes and they would have arrested him for having those documents. So he is already, yes, you are correct being treated special. And I know that when this airs, this will be several months old, but yes, (laughs) he is getting special treatment because he is not arrested. That is the special treatment that he is getting.
2: So true. And I've had lots of classified documents, uh, some in accounting finance, because we were were responsible for paying troops before they went on any kind of mission. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: you could read the news and know what's going on, but the classified documents give you different information, right. specifics, and you didn't repeat them because they were classified. Nobody's business. And it yeah. should be on a need to know basis. Oh, and I needed to know because I had to get all the money together to pay the troops for the went. Right, right. And the army at, at, at Eglin Air Force Base, the army used to do a, a bold eagle exercise every year. And mm. I would have to get millions of dollars in small bills and it would take hours to count from the bank because I would not sign for money that I didn't count right. from my if for my millions of dollars, count. I do not blame you. <laughs> At one time I ha- I got Friday afternoon I got three million dollars in small bills and I had it put it in the safe and Sunday night I had to go out and give it to the army. Well the army didn't count anything they just took it. They just That's signed for like it uh and when they brought it back on like thursday of that week i counted it and they were never right they did this for years they were never right and they'd have to count the one i counted and it was just a mess but uh money is well put it this way three million dollars in the vault and i had the combination i could have walked away with that nobody would have known it's gone until about midnight on sunday Right. And I wasn't even tempted. $3 million isn't enough for me to walk away from the United States, which I would have had to do.
1: Well, yeah, and then you'd be looking over your shoulder the rest of your life. Yep. <laughs> and you know, So this, yeah, no, there are just certain things that, you know, they just, even if it's not classified, sometime if you're doing training,
2: they're like, yeah, we'd rather you not tell anyone outside of your spouse. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, they don't want you to tell your spouse, but when you've got one that's also in the military, they usually know it anyway. Well, I just I'm sort of talking like when I went to
1: NTC for for like tank training, and they were just like, "Oh well, yeah, your wife's going to know." Hey, I'm going to be gone for 30 days, quarter (laughs) in California, but they didn't necessarily want you to just like be broadcasting, "Hey, we're doing this." Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know, so yeah, that's that's that is a A big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, even... Once again, talking about Dad. So when we had first moved here to uh, Oklahoma, and it was before we had moved on to Tinker, so we were uh, living off-base, and I was going to the off-base school. And I don't don't remember what day of the week it was or something like that, but all of a sudden, Dad was at -hmm. work when he wouldn't normally have been at work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this was for three or four days. Yeah. And one day I was like, dad, what's going on? And he's like, I I just can't say anything. Mm -hmm. He's like, but it'll become abundantly clear soon.
0: (laughs) That was sort of all he
1: said. But I mean, he didn't even, you know, tell his son that was in the fifth grade, what was going on. And X many days later, he's still going through the coming home at 10 o'clock at night, leaving at five in the morning routine. And, Next morning, we get up, and lo and behold, we had invaded Grenada. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was like, oh, that's why he's been at work so much.
2: Yeah. (laughs) He was in AWACS then, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: So he was definitely from his end, (laughs) you know, as involved as you could be for that
2: end. I got called out and had to bring a bunch of money to the center where they all dispersed. And, uh, yeah, it was a real surprise because we knew what was going on because what was in the paper, but you can't say anything because it's classified and you have more details. Yeah, I remember that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, That was, uh, that was an interesting, I don't know, eight days.
2: (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. (laughs) Because
1: that was about, uh, how long it was. But, you know, growing up as a dependent, you definitely. Let me rephrase that. Looking back at growing up as a dependent, (laughs) I realize that if you've never been a dependent for someone active duty that's been deployed, sort of how that weighs on a kid, (laughs) you know, having to deal with that. And
0: people always applaud
1: the, not always, spouses get applauded for, you know, being the spouse of someone who's active duty, but their children really go through it too. And a lot of times it might be. Even more difficult because you don't necessarily understand. Yeah, you know why all of a sudden dad is gone, <laughs> and then yeah. when he comes back, he's a little different. Or mom, you know, whichever parent is the one that gets deployed, Because sure. being deployed definitely weighs on you, and the kids definitely pick up on that and <laughs> and feel it. And the children of our active duty, well, I guess, reserves too, need to be
2: yeah I was ref- for that. When, when the Grenada thing happened. Uh we were at the center, the deployment center, waiting to pay those troops. And they said, if we can't get it done before we take off, you have to go with us. And I had two dogs at home. <laughs> Nobody yeah. to care for them.
1: Yeah, you're um, like, it will be done.
2: <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, uh, but we managed to get them paid before they got on the plane. So we didn't have to go with them. which Which is nice. I'm Which sure it never made it. sense to me. You're going into a war zone. What do you need money for? Yeah, you really don't. Except so it's just five. so stupid. Yeah, because I guess
1: yeah. No, you're.
2: I mean, I
1: never understood that one. Because ever it's one thing if they're direct depositing it so your you know family can have the money or whatever.
2: But, no, we're paying these you know, guys yeah, in yeah. cash.
1: Yeah. So yeah, no that that does make sense
2: because you aren't exactly stopping at Seven Eleven when you're. Uh, yeah, you're gonna be on a plane going to wherever you're going, and when you get there, you're gonna do whatever you need to do. Where are you gonna spend money at?
1: And not to mention you're probably in a foreign country, and you yes, you're not gonna be able to stop off at, Hey, let's stop off at the bank and exchange this for some dineros.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know whatever. <laughs> so yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: you're right. <laughs> yeah, that Maybe. that was funny—the Turkish money and the Korean money, but. They, you actually, and when we were in Korea, you were not supposed to use American money outside in in the community because they didn't want it floating around. But you right. could get things a lot cheaper if you used the American money.
1: Oh, instead of. So everybody Korean. did. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, when I was in Korea, uh, they had a curfew at midnight. So wherever you were at midnight, you had to stay there. Oh wow! <laughs> because you could not be on the streets, right? No matter what, so I got stuck uh, in this little bitty town outside of Enselik uh, or um, Osan uh, a couple of times. Be partying too late,
0: and right, you're stuck. <laughs>
2: you're stuck. <laughs> so you you stay with a girlfriend of a friend, you know, and yeah, yeah. You learn a lot about the bar girls then, but,
1: right? It would be kind of cool to go on a trip with you to like Seoul because it is (laughs) such a completely different place now. Oh yeah. Because, you know, when you were there, it is not the giant bigger, really the New York city type metropolis place that it is now. (laughs) It it
2: was pretty big, but most of it was housing. Right. And now it looks like New York city. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that would be,
2: That'd be kind of cool
1: to uh, do that. If I win the lottery, I'll take you to Seoul for vacation. (laughs) Okay. I'd probably need to start playing the lottery to win it. (laughs) It Makes it hard to win when you're not buying tickets.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's like the the guy used to pray every day. Please let me win the lottery. Lord, please let me win the lottery. And finally, after about a couple of weeks of this, he's, he's, Lord, please let me win the lottery. And he hears this boob. Booming voice, you have to buy a ticket. Right? <laughs> so,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, maybe this podcasting thing will take off for me and I can take it to Korea then. <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting.
2: It'd be I interesting. Think it actually would. Yeah, it would. Other
1: than me not liking large groups of unknown people touching me, I think it
2: would be all right. <laughs> oh, their personal <laughs> space is a lot different than ours in yeah. Turkey, too. I All mean, right. they get right up in your face, and they eat in Korea. They eat a thing called kimchi. Yes, and they have a winter kimchi and a summer kimchi, which is basically fermented vegetables. Right, and I hated it. That side point, point. Uh, and it leaves a very unpleasant breath. And uh, I, I couldn't go into a room with a bunch of koreans that had just had lunch <laughs> no because <laughs> it would just yeah. make me sick
0: and just blah.
2: yeah yeah Other than the, the people were great
1: in the episode <laughs> i did with my uh friend and coworker debbie um her dad's american and her mom's korean mm-hmm. and she grew up in a small uh farming town in kansas and uh, she was just saying that most of the people in that farming town were german immigrants She's like, so I grew up loving kimchi and sauerkraut. <laughs> she's like, so I just love the fermented cabbage, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: sauerkraut, I can handle kimchi, no mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. She uh she her husband at the time was in the army and he got stationed in Korea and he did the two year thing so that she could go instead of by himself and it would have been one year. Yeah. With her being you know, half Korean. And so she thought she was going to kind of go over there and she went over there and everybody instantly knew that she was American, that she was not,
2: (laughs) yep, yep.
1: (laughs) not Korean.
2: Well, I was lucky when I was in Korea because uh, I met a gal that had been married to an army uh, um, captain and they were divorced and she came back to Korea. So she spoke decent English Mm -hmm. and uh, she was a friend of a friend. And uh, she would take me to Seoul and all around. Uh, and so I had, I got to ride the buses and uh, mm. see places that ordinarily tourists don't see because right. there were places she frequented. And uh, it was fun. In a way, that's kind of the, the cool part. <laughs> mm-hmm. To get to see the...
1: In a way, touristy places are sort of fake versions of the real country, Yeah. in a sense. yeah. And you got to see sort of the real, <laughs> yep. know, the real deal, the real Korea.
2: And and this is kind of the same way with Turkey, because uh, the little village outside of Inselik was, um, they sold everything. Of course, mm-hmm. rugs are the big right. thing in Turkey and gold. Uh, but they didn't care if you bought anything. They just liked to talk to you. Yeah. So when your dad first got over there, uh, he used to spend half the day drinking chai, which is tea. Uh, with the merchants there, they loved him.
0: Yeah, because
2: uh, he was he was just a nice guy, and it came across. And yeah, yeah. we always got good deals on stuff because of your dad. <laughs> well, you can't complain about that.
1: <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I when Dad came back because he came back ahead of you, he just talked about how much he liked
2: living in Turkey and that he enjoyed the people and yeah. They were great people. I don't like the politicians, but I like the people.
1: Yeah. Well, now the politicians have gotten gotten pretty bad, especially. But uh, the other thing he said that he enjoyed was driving in Turkey because oh. it was because it was almost like a NASCAR event. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that it was crazy, and he loved it,
2: and you hated it. <laughs> I would not drive in Turkey. Yeah. See, our American cars, we had to have a special plate, and it it made you stand out because you were American. And the Turks don't believe in in uh, stoplights unless there's somebody coming. So right. if there isn't anybody coming, they don't even slow down. They just go. Red light doesn't mean anything to them. And it, they it used to intimidate me. And God forbid never getting a four-way stop Right. as an American. And and they also, some of them were scammers where they would want to have an accident with an American because then they could get a lot of money out of you out of you Uh, so you had to be careful and they just intimidated me and i i don't intimidate easily you know that right but uh and i used to race cars so i'm familiar with cars and how to handle them but i just couldn't handle that yeah they were it's like they were daring you to uh move so they can't run so they could run into you and then get money out of you and that one
1: yeah i think as a uh Lifelong NASCAR, IndyCar
2: fan. I think Dad thought that was the closest he was ever going to get. (laughs) We drove to Adana, and that's the capital of Turkey, and it's on top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And there's a two-lane road, but they make three lanes out of it. Right. With trucks and buses, and you have a sheer... Drop on one side and a sheer cliff on the other side, so you don't have places to go. Your dad had a ball doing that, and I was scared to death the whole time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I could see why where dad liked that. Yep. Know. Spending the first half of his childhood in Indiana, and you like yep. two things basketball and auto yep.
2: racing. Yep. <laughs> well, it helped that we had the Super over there. So you could, yeah. when you hit the gas, you went. Yeah, uh, that yeah. helped a lot. If it had been a regular American car, I don't know that he would have enjoyed it so much. But he had the power to get out of situations. Kind that of is true.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think it's safe to say this now because I'm going to say that a, the statute of limitations is run out, and b, probably all parties involved, because you were in another country when this happened. All parties involved <laughs> are dead, <laughs> more than likely. Um, Dad had the catalytic converter illegally taken off the Supra because in Turkey they didn't have unleaded gasoline. <laughs> it was all yep. leaded gasoline, and the only way that the Supra would work over there was if he had the catalytic converters removed. And where my grandpa lived in Arkansas, uh, there was a, a mechanic that was, I don't know, half half a mile up the road who agreed to illegally remove it, yep. and grandpa kept it in his uh, shed for while you were gone and then when the super came back you guys drove it back and the guy reinstalled it. <laughs> 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 but um that that actually federal government if you're listening, I just made that up. That was a lie. Uh don't <laughs> I <didn't>, you know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well Marge, you're not gonna believe this. Uh as is usually what happens when you start talking to people in podcasts, the hour goes by quickly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep,
1: And we, we have actually surpassed the hour at this point, so I'm going to go ahead and and end the podcast. I appreciate you coming on and talking a, about your time in the military. It's been a pleasure. I, thank you. I think it's important to document stories like this, because I think ultimately we're all important, and it's just, I think, good for people to get different perspectives of the world
2: yeah and because I've gone through enlisted training and OTS officers training school, I've been on both sides of it. yeah uh, I, I think that almost all Americans could benefit from some kind of mandatory training, yeah. uh, whether it's or mandatory service, whether it's a bus driver for a school or military or police or nursing or something that's going to benefit society. Yeah. And, and basic training teaches you how to take care of yourself and your stuff,
0: which right. a
2: lot of us could use.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I, I, I do appreciate you coming on and I'm going to go ahead and end the podcast as I do. So thank you everybody for listening and remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button.